Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, and 24-7 support. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code GUARDIAN to get 10% off. The Guardian. Hello and welcome to Media Talk. On this week's show, we look at the ups and downs of the latest radio listening figures. Tony Hall and Lord Patton are up for MPs, again. And the Great British Bake Off is a great ratings triumph. BBC Two has had its cake, now BBC One is going to eat it. I'm John Plunkett and this is Media Talk from The Guardian. And joining me this week are Media Talk regular Maggie Brown and James Robinson, former media editor of The Observer, who's now spinning the dark arts, but a lighter shade than most, of course, as a PR with Powers Court. Welcome both. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Maggie, I understand it was a bit of a late night. You were at the Media Society's 40th yes. birthday do with a very special guest. Yes, I was. Uh, Sir Harry Evans, who was uh, being celebrated um, as a obviously a huge, huge figure, described as the person who's influenced uh, two generations of journalists. And uh, many tributes. Uh, Alan Rusbridger was one of the key people speaking who, I mean, in a way, everybody was going back to the days of hot metal and uh, the, the kind of press that there used to be very strong regional newspapers, mm. campaigning newspapers, Harry Evans making his name with the Northern Echo and then of course coming to London taking Sunday Times by storm. Uh, and Lionel Barber, the editor of the Financial Times, uh, gave a very moving tribute. He said his father in the 70s was the splash sub on the Sunday Times and he absolutely adored Harry Evans and would come home and regale uh, his young, soon-to-be journalist son about the, the the man himself, Maverick, changing the pages at the last minute, mm. and he'd even sort of encouraged him. He'd had a word uh, with Harry as he was rushing off to uh, university. And the great the man other, was moved to tears. Yeah. Well, I tell you what actually happened. It was very funny because Jilly G- G- Cooper was also speaking, and she, of course, was very disarming. And remembered a time when she took her her, her copy to the Sunday Times was taken by a minicab. I mean, these were the days, you know, not carrier pigeon, but minicabs. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we 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 came to this sort of climax and Harry stood up and said you'll be glad to know because of course he's in his mid-80s now he's born in 1928 um I've lost my 40 minute speech I left it on the train and then he mentioned Don McCullen who of course was one of his great photographers and was about to say what a wonderful man he was and he just I'm afraid broke down and burst into tears and the whole of the assembled company and the Millennium Hotel in Grosvenor Square very very smart hotel we all kind of went oh you know it was, it was a very I, I, moving I remember moment. reading his um, excellent autobiography Great, which yeah. I'm sure you've read as well and realizing that he was uh, you know he's I think his dad was a railway man yes um, in Lancashire uh, that's right and his uh, and his uh, his his father's father his granddad uh, I think couldn't couldn't read actually read and he remember th- you know Harold reflecting in his book on how remarkable it was that the grandson of a guy who was barely literate could edit Edit, go on to edit the Sunday Times. It's an amazing story of social mobility as much as anything else, yes, actually. And, of course, that, that newspapers were, of, of, uh, and I'm not sure they actually still are in the same way, uh, a, a, a way of, you know, the low, so I hate using these terms, but, you know, the, the, the working class, mainly men, actually, but also women, getting a fantastic Absolutely. profession. And, and it was, they were also almost like an elevator, you know, they, they were an agent of social mobility, I think, in those days. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure they are now, actually. I think no, it's quite interesting. And 40 years ago, the interesting thing is I was on a media postgraduate course, mm. the Cardiff Journalism course, and uh, Harry Evans actually came and addressed us. It was one of our sort of highlights before we all went out. And, and in fact, world. I was recruited by the Ger- Bir- Birmingham Post 
XML, which again mm. doesn't mm. do those kind of graduate schemes mm. anymore. So there was a sense of us all yeah. kind of celebrating a past age. Oh, it's an end of an era. And, it's I an mean, end of an era. Yes, and, and some of the people there, Melvin Bragg, you know, mm. Dame mm. and Leslie, um, you felt you were in a sort of group that had seen a wonderful time yeah. in the press, but also a lot of downsides. With the hot, it's hard to be romantic about yeah. the hot metal press yeah. and the very male atmosphere. Yeah. But it was very. It, it goes on shaping, you know, current people now. I, well, I remember. I remember Howard Evans of dressed and like the books. Remember his books that taught you how to be a journalist. I mean, I don't really remember had those. Them. Oh, if yes, I've read I've them, got... I might have been a more successful well, journalist. We... <laughs> but, but I do remember him addressing the Guardian conference mm. um, news meeting in the, a few years ago and coming in and drawing in the biggest audience I've ever seen. Um, I think that more people crowded into uh, Alan Rusbridge's office to see Harold Evans than they did to see Courtney Love that he'd come a few months before. Well, <laughs> but, that's but, which know, is quite but, an you know, of all but, the accolades he's but received. But genuinely, John, the, the, the books are important because they show that he was a complete all-round newspaper man. They're not just about law. They're about type. They're about how you lay mm. out papers, how you do investigative journalism. It's a, a mm. complete guide almost to how to be the ideal journalist. And of course, you know, he actually did run amazing investigations. No, that was one of the no, things of that was also, yeah. you know, picked up on last night. We won't see him again. Thank you very much. Uh, we should move on to this week's media news, and we start off with the Ray Jars, uh, always a phrase to gladden the hearts. Uh, Radio 1 was in the spotlight after breakfast host Nick Grimshaw lost more than one million listeners in a year. He now has around five and a half million of them. Radio 1 lost 370,000 listeners over the same period and is now down to 10.8 million. But controller Ben Cooper wasn't worried, saying he was really happy with the breakfast show. And he pointed out that uh, around 800,000 listeners who had left the station were 30 and over. In other words, the wrong sort of listeners for a station doing all it can to reach a younger audience. Uh, James, Ben Cooper's got a, one of the toughest tasks at the BBC on his hands, I think, to, to find a younger audience for Radio 1, but, but still sort of keeping a critical mass. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting spin to put on a story from him, isn't it? Good riddance to all my listeners. The wrong Let sort me of show, you them, show them the door. But I don't, I don't the, want to, I don't need you. It's the lament of Radio 1 all the way through from the, from the 90s when John Burt said, you know, it had to change totally. I, yeah. I'm not surprised. I think it's actually perfectly defensible. And remember, Radio 1 is going to be turned into a video channel anyway. Is it? Yes. Wow. Because under the new plans they're going to have this uh, online presence so they absolutely don't want the over 30s it all makes a lot of sense to me and I'm actually with Ben Cooper I don't think he's got such a terrible task he just has to make it young cool and trendy and online but the question is is he doing that because the interesting stat thrown up today by Adam Bowie who's an absolute radio great uh, great radio guru uh, if he's listening and um, uh, he says the average age of the uh, Grimshaw Breakfast Show is still 34. So he's lost <laughs> listeners, but it's not going down. So. Well, he's not replacing them, is he? But he's losing uh, over 30 listeners and, and not getting enough, you know, 24-year-old listeners, which you do have to wonder if it's just... I mean, Radio 4 has got a very different demographic and always does extremely well, doesn't it? But Radio 1 is part of that world where, you know, I know it's a bit of a cliche that we trot out, but social media and MTV and all the, you know, all the different um, platforms and channels and things that... Are, competing for teenagers attention you do wonder if it's it's going to be as easy as it has been for radio one to be the sort of social glue you know around which people in the under 30s return to again and again it's true but nick grimshaw you know he's a good presenter i mean he's you know if if he can't do it i don't know who can is there a point maggie where it becomes a crisis i mean i think he's on the verge of dipping beneath sarah cox's last audience before she was replaced by chris moore no i don't think it's a crisis at all i I think actually probably within the bbc that i would think that if he can manage to 
lower the age. I know you're saying that he hasn't yet, but if he, he clearly, if you listen to what the Tony Hall plan is, Radio One is not going to be Radio One. It's going to be this radio channel, and that's a different thing. It's music plus plus plus. Mm. Plus, also, remember, they're going to be very close to uh, BBC Three, and so when they put out these kind of cool sitcoms like Bad Education, they're going to be premiered there first. So there's going to be this dovetailing of different types and strands of programming, including DJ-fronted uh, breakfast shows, all into one kind of uh, area, which includes smartphones, tablets, all the rest of it. I can see a perfectly good strategy for that. And I think Radio One should be doing this. Okay. well, next up, it's time to go to Westminster. Or at least it was for me, at least on Tuesday, when BBC Director General Tony Hall and the BBC Trust Chairman Lord Patton were up before MPs again. Seems like only yesterday, doesn't it? Except this time it wasn't the Public Accounts Committee, but John Whittingdale's Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee. This uh, was ostensibly about the BBC's annual report and accounts, which you might remember remember from a few months ago. Although I think only two questions actually related to that. Mm. Maggie, what did we learn? And please don't say nothing. Well, I think we learnt, didn't we, that in, in some ways, the sting had been drawn already because of the hearing that they had in September over the um, excess payments. A bit after I, the Lord Mayor's show. Yes, I, uh, yes I, did, I did watch it a bit and I got rather bored. But I saw John Whittingdale actually last night, the chairman of the Select Committee. And um, I, I got the impression he, he thought there were some things that needed to be pursued. But my impression was really that they hadn't studied the annual report properly. I'd have liked more uh, questions on the matter in hand, not whether so-and-so had given a job to so-and-so or whether... You're right, but the, but the, the problem with this annual ritual, which it is, is that it's just an excuse for MPs to grill the Director General and Chairman of the BBC, mm. regardless of the annual report. It, 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 I mean, that is, they don't... I that am sure most of them don't read it. They just say whatever's yeah. in their inbox from their constituents and whatever's in the newspapers that week, they will ask them all about that. So actually, it's not a very... Um, in some ways, it's not a very forensic exercise, and they don't really do what they're, they're meant to be doing. But I do long sometimes for when the Director General and Chairman, whoever they are at the time of the BBC, get wheeled out. It happens, you know, as you say, John, it happens very all the time. They appear for some select committee or other. Sometimes I just wish they'd just say, the, just say what they really felt. Yeah, it's just a, it's a childish sort of fantasy that they would just, you know, be more combative and and defend and defend the BBC, because they, you know, it just it, it just becomes a, an orgy of sort of platitudes, doesn't it? And um, and and actually, and I mean, I was going to make another point actually, which is which I know is slightly crowbarred in there, but but I have to say it because it's been on my mind. I mean, it's keeping me awake at night. Is it related uh, to the BBC it, at it all? It is. It is. And, uh, it is absolutely related to know. And and that is, you know. For, they are. Everyone knows the waste at the BBC, and and also, uh, it, it you know they are all incredibly overpaid. And running the BBC is not that hard. You know, Greg Dyke did an interview in the FT on Saturday where he said a friend of his, when he was director general of the BBC and some months into the job, says, "So you're not finding that difficult then?" He said, "No, because I get three point five billion pounds, and then I just go and spend it." Okay, that is slightly you know flippant, but it, it is frustrating. You know, there these people, James Pennell, who's a very talented and able man. You know, was a, a very you know, could have, in a, if circumstances had changed, had turned out slightly differently, could could even be prime minister. You know, but, but he he lands at the BBC and, and go and is paid three times what he was paid when he was a, a shadow cabinet minister or a, sorry, a, a, apologies, a cabinet minister. It's just it's just crazy the BBC. And I just think the whole salary structure. So I'm going to go on. And, I'll continue this rant. No, I think I think your finish. point is but really that I, too little money goes on the programming and too much. Goes no, my on point the is that pay, they're is just that like right? civil servants. servants yeah. They get three point five billion pounds and they allocate it. How hard can it be? Sorry, you know. I mean, well, it is hard because oh, you are well, so Tony much Hall, in the public eye. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, 
Write me a letter. Two points I thought came out, Maggie. I don't know what you thought of this. One was the the um, uh, Tony Hall said that twenty of the of the three hundred senior managers had, had rejected uh, his one hundred and fifty k payoff cap. And he said, well, that's not a problem now. Let's see if they get made redundant and we'll sort of tackle it then. That was his take on that. But uh, that felt potentially serious to me. And the other point was that he defended the rights of BBC executives, no matter how much, if they get 200 grand plus, to have a second job. What did yes, you make so of those two this, points? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, somebody who was running a cafe business. That's right, Lisa Opie. Lisa Opie, yeah. Well, I, I thought if you're actually being paid a large sum of money, one does assume that the job in hand takes up most of your energies, almost all of your energies. On the other hand, there are, there are plenty of examples and... I can think of one where people are required by their families, say, to take over a business or they mm. have commitments mm. that they didn't expect to have, but they do, mm. they do assume. And I know several people in that, in that situation. So I think to have a hard and fast rule uh, is, is a bit uh, difficult. Uh-oh. I think if the business is, is related to what you're doing at Broadcasting House, then it becomes much more tricky. If it's a cafe and it has no connection with your main job, then and, and it's run by somebody else, then I, oh. I don't feel that that is such a big thing. I've got some great images now of Ben Cooper, you know, finishing his newspaper round <laughs> in time to get back to catch, you know, Nick Grimshaw's breakfast show. And he only delivers papers to under 30s. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 I suppose also, let's face it, you, you were saying it's very easy to live on public money. I suppose if you do have some sort of exposure to a marketplace, it might just make you appreciate it's the value it. of money. Right. Well, maybe. Yeah, you can you live in hope. Well, next up, it's time for everyone's favourite TV show, um, or at least 8 million people's. It's the Great British Bake Off. Uh, MPs didn't ask Tony Hall about that. Uh, maybe they should have done. Um, Francis Quinn, who's a clothes designer. I won't need to remind you one, of course. But the real one was BBC Two, which cooked up its biggest audience for at least a decade, with a peak of more than 9 million viewers. Actually, scrap that. The real winner is, in fact, BBC One, where Bake Off, I'm now such a fan, I don't need the great bit to know what I'm talking about, will transfer next year. Now, statistically, the chance of neither of you watching it is pretty low, but uh, I'm going to gamble. Uh, James? No, I didn't watch it. Maggie? I did watch it, Thank even though I hate the programme, and I hate cooking, and I hate all cooking shows, mainly because I've had so many children, I, I regard cooking as catering. So is your remote controller broken? But or what, what, no, I, I was, was pootling around in my bedroom, and I have a brand new, very large TV set there. Ooh, in your bedroom, say. really? Indeed. Wow. And uh, I turned it on, and I couldn't stop watching it. You I got very. I got very... <laughs> <laughs> I got very annoyed with the pretzels. I thought, what a terrible thing to spring on them. I thought they were most unfair, the, the, the things. So I was almost sort of shouting at the screen at one point, saying, oh, for goodness sake. You know, well, you were hooked, though, Maggie. You were hooked I was hooked, show. and I did watch it. I mean, obviously, uh, it, it, it's, it, it is very, very addictive, and it is brilliantly uh, produced. That's and, the and it's point. refreshing to have a show that doesn't revolve around celebrities. And the concoctions are pretty. I mean, you could, the, they are pretty amazing. I also like the fact that um, they're quite discreet in the way they eat. I can't stand this kind of, you know, munching mm. on. Yeah, they, they do yeah, cut yeah. away from Mary, and, and they do they do have a certain sort of style about it, which is quite pleasant. And I thought the three women. Uh, I mean, they're they're very interesting role models. I found, mm. to be honest. So. Uh, uh, yes, I was one of the 9.2 million, and you can see why it has to go to BBC One. But, uh, James, what did you make of all the kind of grief that the contestants were getting yeah, on Twitter? Well, it's, it's appalling. Yeah, it's appalling, isn't it? The, the everyday sexism. You know, you can't. It, it's back to that old you know, truism. You can't really win if you're a woman. You can, you, you know, if you're too, you know, care too much about what you do, you're, you're pushy, and if you don't care enough, you're too, you know, you're not pushy. You're underambitious and a bit and a bit fake, you know. And I mean, the the, the it, it, you just see it every time a, a woman becomes. 
you know, prominent in public life almost. I mean, it's, it, but it, it's almost become, you know, you just shrug your shoulders because you expect to hear it and see it. And James, of course, as you're here, you've, uh, you've had a few sort of Twitter issues closer to home, if I might suggest that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm married to Gloria de Piero, who's uh, a Labour MP and was elevated to the shadow cabinet recently. And uh, there was a controversy around um, newspapers searching for uh, pictures that she did when she was very young, uh, topless pictures she did. And actually, having said, you know, focused on some of the, the difficult time that female contestants on the Bake Off get, Gloria sort of took the initiative and 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 wrote about this on her on her website you know it's obviously quite difficult for me to talk about in a way but she did get a lot of support for the stance she took and I just think I'm glad she did it I mean you know I don't really want to talk on her behalf but I think I think um it was it was heartening that a lot of people were very supportive of the of the of the stand she took. Um, you know, she got emails and she she got a lot of response on Twitter. Um, I don't know what whether there's wider lessons to be learned from that or not, but uh, that was just my personal experience. But um, and is that the way to do it? Do, do you think? A uh, question for you, Maggie or, or James. The temptation must be to sort of you know keep keep your head you know keep your head under and, and don't get on the radar. But um, you know because if you do well, write something, then that gets picked oh, up. Oh, I, I think she I think she handled it superbly. I don't know if James mm. was managing her. Well, no, no, not. I just think she did exactly the right thing with the interview Mm -hmm. and with the general stance and a lot of people like me just I am sure I I just thought good for her Mm. yeah I think that was the the, 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 you never know how these things will pan out but I think that's most people's view I'm very proud of her obviously okay well finally this week uh, it's Maggie's favorite part of the show I know it's time for the media monkey quiz She's got her head in her hands, listeners. Uh, question number one, which ITV show is being axed after 15 years? Oh, who wants to be a millionaire? Excellent. Uh, one point to Maggie. It was still see. on. I didn't know it was still on. Which <laughs> isn't very often. Uh, question number two, which album was named the greatest of all time by NME this week? Oh, Sergeant Pepper. It's a Queen is Dead by the Smiths. Uh, so question number three, who was named Britain's richest young celebrity? Oh, that's Harry Potter. Um, Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe, yes. that's right. Team, team, team effort, effort, yeah. yeah. He was actually beaten by One Direction, but there's four of them, so it wasn't a fair fight. Although Radcliffe <laughs> has got a giant wand. Uh, and that, that was a Heat magazine survey. So uh, taking on the Sunday Times rich list at their own game. Uh, oh, bonus question. Uh, yes or no, are you excited about the new iPad? Yes. No. Maggie? No, right. Well, at the end of that, I think it's one and a half points to Maggie and half to James. Don't. So Maggie, see you next time. You are, in fact, the quiz master. <laughs> Despite your fears. I, I might turn up. Now I'm no longer being trounced. <laughs> Excellent. Well, on that... Uh, on that bombshell, uh, my thanks to Maggie Brown and to James Robinson. It's time to talk TV now with The Guardian's TV and radio editor, Rebecca Nicholson. Rebecca, hello. Hello. I think we're going to start off this week with a new show on BBC Two, Ambassadors. Mitchell and Webb, back on the Beeb. Um, this is a... Well, I don't really know what it is. I was expecting a half-hour sitcom about diplomats in this fictional country called Tazbekistan, I think it is. Right. Some sort of former Soviet It took Jack Bauer hostage several years ago, I believe. One of those sorts of things. Um, But it's not. It's an hour long, and it's a mix of comedy and drama. I found it very funny. It's quite dark humour. But it doesn't really... It's a strange... It has a strange tone, and it seems to have been shot with the same cameras as The Wrong Man's. It's that kind of slightly grey... filter that is popping up and everything thanks to the killing and wallander it's the wallander filter let's call it that right okay yeah. the wallander T- filter brackets tm brackets yeah. yeah um but it's i think it's very funny and it's got potential I'm, I'm quite keen to see where they go with it it doesn't really slot into any 
bracket very easily. Which is always a danger in these days of multi-channel TV. Which is a danger. But then if you've got Mitchell and Webb, they can carry that, I think. So I'm looking forward to the next one. Were you surprised? Only got about 1.2, 1.3 million viewers. Yeah, that's not great, is it? Yeah. But it's a hard... I do think it's a hard sell. I mean, there's nothing really to grab onto with it. You just have to go with it. It might be a bit of 2012. It's got that sort of tone, except it's not as silly. And it goes on for an hour. Maybe it should have been half an hour. I thought it was half an hour. Yeah, it's not And I watched it. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, that's a lie. I didn't watch it. Uh, But a good cast. Great cast. Apart from them, it's got Keely Hawes and Keely Hawes' husband. Keely Hawes and her husband, yes. Keely Hawes is also in the tunnel on uh, Sky Atlantic. I didn't know that. Yeah, playing a tart with a heart. Now the tunnel. (laughs) We weren't going to talk about the tunnel. We weren't going to talk, but it just reminded me. But you brought it up. I didn't expect to see her in it. I found it really hard to enjoy the tunnel because I kept trying to work out what was different to the original and what was the same. And then I thought, hang on a minute, this isn't really much like the original at all. But then I thought, oh, I've forgotten to enjoy the drama. Oh, it's finished. Oh, that's interesting because a lot of people thought that it was too similar to the original and um, that what was the point of remaking it? I didn't. I thought it worked as a standalone drama because I thought a lot of the humour was different. The French-English stuff was different. And I actually thought um, Clemence Posey was very good. Yeah, I like the two leads. They were great. I like the two leads, yeah. But the whole kind of human trafficking or prostitution thing or whatever it's going to turn into. Tell me that wasn't in the original or did I just forget it? No, that's not in the original. Thank goodness. So I haven't stuck with it, but uh, but I should do, shouldn't I, the tunnel, I mean. Yeah, I've seen the first two episodes and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I've got to say, the, 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 the man about to blow up in his own car <laughs> was a lot more exciting in the original than it was in the Sky one. Also, I mean, it's just that thing where journalists are on TV. They're never quite what oh, journalists are yeah. in real life, are they? No, we're I, much, I, much better looking, yeah? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm handsome and I'm rich. Like, what, yeah. kind, what kind of journalist are you? Doing drugs. <laughs> As if. Right, next up, I think it is Homeland. Let's talk about Homeland. You've got issues. I've got issues with Homeland. Homeland said uh, we're on. We've just had episode three, and I've been due to watch episode four for about three days, and I keep putting it off and deciding that I've got something else to do, and I'm really struggling to stick with it. And I have to stick with it because obviously I'm writing a, a blog about it for the website, but I just think it's it's lost its way. I think it's really slow. The characters aren't really going anywhere. The script is really bad, and I don't know if the script was always bad and we just forgot because it was an exciting premise for the first season especially but I just think I don't care about Dana Brody's daughter Brody came back and you'd think Brody's back that's a really exciting storyline the main characters being reintroduced so it was really dull he's in a tower block and then he escapes from the tower block and then he's going to be on heroin because this strange man is giving him Drugs, who cares? There's a lot of spoilers in that, by the way. I maybe should have said that at the start. But that's basically what happened. <laughs> uh, and we kind of don't know what it's about anymore. What is it about? It was a great one series, essentially. Wasn't it, it should have been a one series. I, I enjoyed the second series, even though it was very silly and had started to kind of veer off into very daft 24 territory. But I did enjoy it. And that's what's missing with this one for me. I'm just not enjoying it. I still think Saul's going to be the bad guy, do you think? I, they're making it look that way, aren't they? Mm. And we still still haven't found out who rigged the polygraph test in series one, if indeed anyone did. And Saul didn't take that test, so it could all slot together in that way. Do you you not think the writers just forgot about that? I think they might have done. They've left a few loose ends. There are a few things that maybe they just forgot about. There's more bullets in there. Hang on, there's there's fewer bullets in Brody's body (laughs) than there are loose ends in that script. True. I think that works. Although I think that works. Probably there's only one bullet in his body, yes. (laughs) And there's not any more because they popped it out. Because that man popped it out. Well, I'm sticking with it. I think I did it. I actually, unlike you, I did enjoy that third episode. Um, but that might be just because I wasn't involved in childcare during that uh, 54 minutes of TV. But, um, I don't know why. I just found it really slow. I, I kept sort of drifting off. 
And then the fact that they sent... Uh, Somebody pointed this out on the blog, but the fact that he's the world's most wanted man and someone phoned in a sighting of him and they sent two policemen. They sent cannon and ball together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they should have got a cannonball. Hey. Uh, right. And next up. Next up. Um, well, we're back to the bake-off, aren't we? We're back to the bake-off. Which we have discussed before, so apologies non-bake-off fans. You're getting a double dose here, you're getting a second course. I would like to publicly thank the person who emailed me an embargoed news story with the headline, Francis wins the Great British oh. Bake Off at five past eight. Because, John, you know that I spent most of uh, Tuesday saying, how did the interview with the person who won go, don't tell me who it was, don't tell me who it was, five past eight. I was oh, just sitting down with my tea and my cake, ready to watch it. It was it was spoiled for me somewhat. Now, I am not a gourmet of the Great British Cake Off, as uh, regular <laughs> listeners, both of them will be aware. But, um, <laughs> but so, so I'd never seen a final before. Okay. But I, I kind of thought it was all a bit of a damp script. Nothing really worked. There was no kind of, you know, uh, there was no 10 out of 10. Is, is that always the case? Have there been finals before so. when someone creates something absolutely amazing? But it's not that kind of show. It isn't really, it isn't quite, it doesn't follow reality show um Struck. narrative no not really it does a little bit and i think more and more it has um but i it doesn't really follow that narrative so no it's just all a bit nice they all tried they made nice things they said it was okay someone won it was lovely that's the but you're not the only one who would have been watching it for the first time obviously because the ratings were so mm. huge yep 8.4 million yeah. peak of 9.1 yeah Massive. So perhaps I wonder if people like you were tuning in to see what all the fuss was about and then realising that it was just a sort of lovely bit of cake. And I was taken aback by the pretzel. <laughs> well, it's not. I didn't think that was a, a Great British Bake Off final bake, really. Yeah, I think they should have, Yeah, they should have at least gone for a bagel. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that says final, doesn't it? So much yeah, more than a pretzel. Bagel says final to yeah. me. It says treat. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, on that note... Uh, I'm off for a snack. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca Nicholson, thank you very much. Thank you. And that's it for this week's show. My thanks to all this week's guests, who were Maggie Brown, James Robinson, and, of course, Rebecca Nicholson. You can leave your comments on our Facebook wall, wherever that is, or our blog. Or you can tweet me at johnplunkett149. Media Talk was produced this week by Mr Simon Barnard. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag-and-drop tools, and 24-7 support. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today, no credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN. 